I have a Sunday school lesson that I want to share with you. And the name of that Sunday school lesson is called Giving Up is Not an Option. Look at your neighbor and say, don't give up. Look at the other person and say, don't give up. Keep staring at the person who hasn't looked and said nothing the entire time. Just look at them. Just look at them. Because they're looking at me, but they don't want to say nothing to anybody. So just keep looking. Don't say anything. Just look at them. Because we have this problem every Sunday. We're just going to keep looking at them. If they want to look at you and say giving up is not an option, then we can stop looking at them. Some of y'all hadn't laughed yet. Second Kings chapter four, verse eight. I wrestle with, with what is it that I needed to share with you all because we've been doing a lot of intentional surgical. We've been having some surgery in this class in this time in this hour of Bible study over the last several weeks. We've been doing we've been having some surgical procedures done and God has been doing some heart surgery. And so I always want to be intentional with the word of God that I'm sharing with you or whatever it is that God gives me to share with you. And so I just kind of hit a roadblock because I found myself still dealing with the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel. And I'm like, Lord, I've been preaching this to the volunteers and and, uh, over the last couple of months. And I don't want to just, you know, and I've been dealing with this this same text that we're in today and and so today's message is a reminder for some of us and some of you all you got you got it together you have no questions you have no struggles Ah, everything is good with you I'm just talking to the few people who need to be reminded because the the life that you live you sometimes have struggles The life you live, you have things that you want to do, things that you want to achieve, things that you want to accomplish. But some way, shape or form, you you seem to continue to come to these same obstacles. It's 2018 and the year is almost over with and you still hadn't done what you're supposed to have done. And now you're just discouraged all over again. You've been trying to hype yourself up, but nothing had changed. I'm talking to a few of us who sometimes you get discouraged. And sometimes as I'm talking to a friend, sometimes it feels like God is just stretching your faith and you get stretch marks. Many of us, we, 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 we want faith, but we want our faith to be like the, the boat that remains in the dock and never goes out on the sea. We want, we want faith, but we don't want to ever exercise our faith. We want the, the pretty little boat that looks good, that yacht that stays tied to, to, to its post. And even though it's storming and pretty day, just now we're just going to keep it there because it looks good. It, and we just want to let it just unblemished. Your faith is not supposed to be unblemished. Your faith needs to be challenged so you can grow. You have to learn the, the, the importance of Speaking what you don't see until you see what you've learned how to speak. Because faith sees what does not exist. I'm teaching already, just in case you didn't know it. And so I just needed to remind one or two or three people with a very simplistic message. I know you wanted to make it real deep. It's very simplistic. Giving up is not an option. We look at a text today and we find a woman from a town called Shunem and she's considered to be the Shunemite. She is not given a name. 
We don't know her name. We just the woman who was a Shunammite. She encounters a prophet by the name of Elisha. Elisha also has a, a understudy, Gehazi or Gehazi. And so you get these main characters. And also there's two other people in this text who are also main characters. It's the, the husband to the wife and her child. We're going to look at this text. And this text, this text is apropos for us today. For those of us who there's some things you're asking God for. And those things have not come to pass. Things you've been trying to do and you still hadn't done. Things you've been hoping for, but still it's still not coming. And, and, and for some of us, it seems like your hope is on life support. We look at this text with this woman, her, her hope, her destiny is on life support. We see a transformation in her life between passages. We find a woman in this text and you will discover that she is barren. Everybody say barren. She does not have children. Her husband is old, but she's a God-fearing woman. We look at this text. She's a God-fearing woman. She's a believer. She's very perceptive. And so one day she sees a man by the name of Elisha walking. Because he's going to and fro trying to do the business of God and she sees him and she's very perceptive. She has discernment and she says to her husband, I believe this man is a man of God. Let's do let's do something kind for him. She says, we have space in our home. Why not go to the top of our home and why not create a bed and, and, and a space for Elisha. So when he comes to town, he has somewhere to sleep. He has some food to eat. I don't know him. You don't have to chase after favor. Favor will find you. And so I could preach this text just from Elisha's perspective, but I'm not. That's another message for another day. And so he's walking. He didn't ask for someone to be kind to him. And so she opens her, her, her doors. She up in the upper room. She prepares a bed. She prepares food. So whenever he chooses to come to town, he has a key and he can just go and he can rest. Didn't ask for anything. This happened time after time. To the point where one day Elisha looked at his servant, at his, at his understudy Gehazi and said, man, this woman is so kind to me. We need to reciprocate the kindness. I want to bless her. What can we do for her? You look at the text, right? The text says, what can we do for her? In the Isaac paraphrase version. And then Gehazi says, well, I don't know. So he, 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 he well, what happens is he brings her in. He says, hey, you've been so kind to us. Thank you for, for, thank you for opening your doors to me. Is there anything that I can do for you? This is what he asked her. He asked the woman, is there anything I can do for you? She looks at Elisha and she says, nope, my family takes good care of me. She leaves. Elisha looks at Gehazi and says, I know she says she's good. I know she says she doesn't need anything. What do you perceive we can do for her? 
Gehazi says, well, after looking and after listening and after paying attention, she has no children. She's barren. Her husband is old. So unless a miracle takes place, she'll never give birth to a child. So then the thing that stands out to me is that Elisha calls this woman, this Shunammite woman into the room. But the Bible says, I think around about verse eight or something, the Bible says that she came and she stood in the doorway. She stood in the doorway. She didn't come in. The doorway is just symbolic. She stands in the doorway and he says, hey, by this time next year, you're going to give birth to a son and you're going to be holding him in your arms. This is where the text gets crazy. She looks back at Elisha. My Bible teaches me, she says his words, man of God, don't you be, dis- I don't, you need to stop getting my hopes up. I don't need you. I don't need you to be saying these things to me. I don't need you to get my hopes up. I don't need you to, I, I, do not tell me this. I don't want to receive that. I, 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 don't, I, don't tell me that because, uh-uh, I, She's standing in the doorway. God is trying to bless her. But for some reason or another, she almost allowed her words to abort the blessing that God was trying to bestow on her life. And I asked myself the question, well, why would she say such words to Elisha? Why would she tell Elisha, don't, don't, don't get my hopes up. I don't want you to jive me. I don't, I, I, I don't want you to fool me. Don't, uh, uh-uh. Because sometimes we've been disappointed so much that we would much rather reject the blessing than to admit we actually need it. When I look at the text, the thing that stands out to me most and reminds me is that you can be smiling in public and hurting in private. She says to him, no, I I don't want to receive that, which says to me that, yes, she wants a child. She's been trying to give birth to something, but time has passed. Disappointment has happened. The engagement didn't work. The divorce keeps happening. Relationships now. You can't get the job that you want. In the family is in a disarray. You see these same things happening, these same habits, these same generational curses. I, I don't want to get my hopes up, so I don't expect anymore. She's standing in the doorway. And God is trying to bless her. But she can't release her past experiences and try again. There's some things that you've experienced. There's some heartache you've experienced, some disappointments you experienced. Your bank account may be in a negative because you tried this venture once before. You tried to trust someone once before. You tried to help someone once before. And now it's a brand new opportunity to, 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 to try something new again. And you say, no, nah, I don't want to try it. So many of us are closing the door. We're standing in the doorway. You're right there on the precipice of what God has for you. But you much rather say, no, nah, I don't want to admit. Because if I admit, that means I have to face my fear. 
If I admit that I want this, if I admit that I want to try this, then that means I got to face my insecurity and I don't want to deal with my insecurities. So I'd rather remain bound. No, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't tell me that. And I'm so glad that God knows what's best for us. Despite her words. Because your words can mess up the very thing that God is trying to do in your life. We've been talking about words. God is trying to use you. But your words, your language. Don't, don't, don't. And the Bible says then. All of a sudden or a year later, nine months later, she has a child. She gives birth to the very thing that she had been hoping for. I need to encourage someone here, don't give up. There's something you're hoping for, something you want to do, something you want to give birth to, and you've gotten, you've grown accustomed to saying, no, I'm not trying to do anything. You're trying to play it safe. Don't give up. She gives birth to the child. And the Bible says that when he grew older between those verses, 10 years passes by. So he's older now. He's in the field. He's in the field. It's harvest time. And he's harvesting with his father. And my Bible teaches me that he gets sick. He says, Dad, my head hurt. My head hurt. He says, go into mama because, you know, mama, she can take care of everything. Just tell your mama what's wrong. He goes into his mother. Mom, my head hurt. She lays him on the lap. And the very thing that she had been that brought her so much joy. The very thing that she had been appreciative for. The thing that perhaps she didn't ask for. The blessing. Her destiny. The things she's been, been working with and been nurturing. Her son died. In her hands. Some of us are holding on to some dead dreams. Some of us are holding on to something that is not moving anymore. Some of us are holding on to something that you've been trying to breathe and do CPR, but nothing is happening. Her son is in her lap and her son stops moving. Her son stops moving. Her son has died. Destiny died. No movement. Dead. Then she does something remarkable. My Bible teaches me that same place that she, that same bed that she made for, for, for Elisha. She takes her son, carries her son upstairs, takes him into the room. Lays him on the bed. She doesn't stay there with him. She lays him on the bed. She closes the door shut. And then she leaves. The next remarkable thing that happens, and I'm almost finished with my Sunday school lesson today. She's coming downstairs. She tells her servant, I need you to tell my husband I need transportation. I need to handle some business. Her husband says, what you need transportation for? It's Sunday. What you trying to do? 
Is it okay? Is everything okay? Her son died. Her dreams failed. Perception. Not moving. Lifeless. You would have thought, you would have thunk that she would have informed her husband what had happened. Because this is your soulmate. This is your spouse. She does not tell her husband that the child has died. Because sometimes you can't tell everything, every, everybody, everything going on. I'm not talking about keeping a secret. Because look at the process. He says, is everything okay? And she says, in the King James Version, it is well. How can you look at this situation that is dead and say everything is all right? How can you be in a dead situation, the thing you've been asking for, the thing that you've been nurturing is now lifeless and you have the audacity to say it's okay? Faith can see what does not exist. It is well, but that's not it. He says, okay. And so she, he, she gets on this and she tells the person, I need you to speed. I need you to, I need you to put the pedal to the metal. And so when she's on her way to see Elisha, who in this text is symbolic to who God is, Elisha sees her coming. He says, Gehazi, I see the Shunammite woman coming. Make sure she is okay. Ask her, is everything all right? So Gehazi runs out there to make sure he meets her. And he said, hey, hey, hey. Everything good? Because you look, is everything okay? She looks at Gehazi in the face. Her situation is dead. Her, her son is lifeless. There is no life support. The very child that she didn't ask for, the, the very thing she'd been working on, the marriage that you've been depositing in, you've been giving your life, it's over. She looks at Gehazi and she says, it is well. How in the world can you look at a situation in your life? You ain't got no money. You don't know how you're going to get the next meal. Your health is going all which away, and you saying it's okay. Everything is okay. I like eagles. I like eagles. I like eagles. The reason why I like eagles, because their vision is impeccable. They can be too. They can be so high in the sky, and when they come down, when they see a prey that they want to attack, they will come down at two hundred miles per hour. And when they come down 200 miles per hour, their eyes are always adjusting so that they can have the right perception of the thing that they want to attack. They always see the big picture. They're always adjusting. They're coming down 200 miles per hour and their eyes every moment, every moment is always adjusting. So they always see the big picture. They don't, they don't focus on the small thing. They see the it's okay. Some of us have some situations going on in our life and you need some eagle eyes. I know it's lifeless. 
It's not the way you want it to be, but you need to, you need to readjust. You need to readjust. I know, I know you're coming in too. You're coming close and close to the thing you've been praying for, and it's not looking the way you want it to look, but I need you to have eagle eyes. They, they, they're always adjusting their perception of what's going on so they can see clearly. And so we look at the text. Gehazi says, okay, he, she said everything is okay, Elisha. She wants to speak to you. The very moment she gets in the presence of Elisha, she breaks down. She told her husband, her spouse in her home, everything is okay. She told her servant, everything is okay. She told Gehazi, everything is, it is well. Everything is okay. But when she got in the presence of the Lord by way of Elisha, she then said, I didn't ask you for this child. My child is dead. I need you to do something. I need you to fix it. Elisha, he says, okay, Gehazi, here's your opportunity. Take my staff and I want you to go lay the staff, follow my instructions, because I remember what Elijah did, you know, my predecessor, and he used the staff this way. So I want to make sure that when you get the staff, that you take the staff and you lay it on the child's head. He said, okay, I got it. Easy breezy. I do it. I seen you do it many times. And so I'm going to do it. So, uh, so he goes to the house. And he takes the staff, puts it on the child's head. Get up. Child never moves. But the woman, though, she had one thing in mind. She told Elisha, she was like, no, I'm not waiting on Gehazi. I'm not going back to my home unless you go home with me. Lord, I'm not going back unless you go with me. If you don't go with me, I'm not going back. And so he says, okay. Verse 30, he goes back, he goes to her home, goes upstairs. And then when you finish reading the text, after he puts his mouth on the child's mouth, as, as he lays on the child, the child begins to cough seven times and comes back to life. And when the child comes back to life, he tells the Shunammite woman, take your child in your arms like I told you before. And be at peace. When I look at that text. And I look at this Shunammite woman. She was afraid when we first met her. She had been disappointed so much. Her faith was so fragile when we were first introduced to her in the passage. But then after she sees this come, she sees this miracle come to pass. And, at, and now that she's dealing with this dead situation. She says, you know what, before I talk to anybody about what's going on in my life, I'm going to make sure I talk to the Lord first. Some of us need to be reminded of that because you got some people in your life who seem to be qualified. They got all the numbers and letters behind their name. You got some people that you know who have their own businesses, people you, you're trying to talk to about your situation, and you've never talked to the Lord about it. I need you to switch that process. Because if you talk to the Lord about your situation, you may never have to share it with anybody else. And so she says, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to talk to you, husband. I love you, boo. But God, I got to talk to the Lord because there's some things you can't fix. 
You're not Olivia Pope and you, you're not the fixer in this situation. And you have to understand in your life, there's some things that you need to take to the Lord before you ever open your mouth and share with anybody else. But you, you have to learn how to speak it into existence. I know my situation is lifeless, but it's going to be okay. And there are a couple of things that she taught me in this text that I want to share with you all. She teaches me, don't become comfortable in your barrenness. Don't become comfortable in your barrenness. You've been without child. You've been without that vision. You've been without that thing for so long. It hadn't worked out so many times over that you just stopped dreaming. I'm not talking about a physical baby, but I could be talking about that. But I'm talking about whatever your purpose is. Don't become comfortable in not producing the very thing that God has deposited on the inside of you because it failed a couple of times before. She had been disappointed so much. People betrayed her so much. People talked about her so much that she, it was just easy for her to reject it all in all. We find her in the text. She has wealth. Because the text, the author, describes her as a wealthy woman. He didn't just say a Shunammite woman, but she was a wealthy woman. She had security. And when, even when Elisha asked, what can we do for you? No, I'm taken care of. She had become so comfortable taking care of other people that she didn't know how to take care of herself. She becomes so comfortable in putting everybody else first that she didn't know how to put her purpose first. So when Elisha asked her, what can I do for you, not your husband? You, not your estate. But what is it that you want to do that has not been done that you're afraid to accomplish or you're afraid to speak with your mouth? It's best that you keep it quiet because if you keep it quiet, then you never actually fail, right? Welcome to my world. But there's some things in your, you got to start opening your mouth because it will not come to pass until you start talking about it. Don't become comfortable in your barrenness. God wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to multiply. But, but, I mean, get it, granted. There's some seasons in your life where your womb will be shut up. But your womb may be shut up. Your spiritual womb may be shut up for just a period. But don't get comfortable being there. Second thing she teaches me is that giving up on something and giving something up are two different things. I'm looking at the text, right? Giving up on something and giving something up are not the same thing. Giving up on something and handing something over are not the same. Because see, when you give up on something, it's because you allow fear, you allow your struggles, you allow all these things to keep you from embracing the opportunity. You, you give up. Some of us have walked away from situations because of a struggle. Some of us have given up so quickly because it required hard work. I'm talking to myself. 
and, 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 and you've given up when you should have given it up. You've given up when you should have given it up. This woman in the text, she has a child who is dead, who is lifeless. And some people will look at the text and they will immediately say, he was lifeless. You took him up, you closed the door and you just gave up because she walked away. When I look at the text, I don't see a woman who gives up. I see a woman who recognizes that it is out of her control. And when you realize that you do not have control of a situation, you learn the value of handing it over to someone or to an authority who can handle it better than you can handle it. I'm talking about giving it up. And so she says, I'm carrying stress. I'm carrying heartache. I'm carrying disappointment. It is better that I carry this disappointment and leave it at the altar, hand it over to the Lord and allow the Lord to deal with my situation because I can't fix it. My son is dead. And so some of us have some situations in our life that you're still carrying. You're still holding on to it. Yeah, but just like the Shunammite woman, you look good on the outside, but you're hurting on the inside. You're carrying something. Failure. Fear. And what I want to challenge you to do today is instead of carrying it, I'm not asking you to give up. I'm asking you to give it up. I'm asking you to hand it over. She carries her son. And then she lays her son down where she knows the presence of God is. The man of God has been up there. I know the presence of God is up there. So if there's any other place, I'd rather leave my burden. I'd rather leave it where I know where the Lord is going to show up. Some of us come to church. We carry our burdens inside of the house of God and we leave carrying the same burdens we brought into the church. But God is in the place. And this is the place where you need to leave your burdens and stop carrying them. But I know somebody saying, well, that relationship, yeah, I need to keep working on it then. I need to try to revive it and resuscitate it. <laughs> Giving up and moving on are not the same. <laughs> you move on when you realize a situation no longer serves you. Amen? So I don't want you to take my message and say, oh, yeah, he said do not give up. So I'm going to keep in this relationship. I'm going to make this thing work. <laughs> Boo-boo, you need to move on. <laughs> but there's another thing that the text teaches us. I'm just glad to be teaching today. The text teaches us one more thing. The text teaches us, because you look at the text, look at the text, look at the text. I think this spoke to me most. You see a woman. She's in the text. She has a hidden desire, a hidden pain. She wants a child, but she won't say it because she's been disappointed enough. But there is a miracle that happens. She gives birth to this child. It requires faith. Everybody say faith. faith. She has faith and she gives birth to her child. But we see in the text that her faith is fragile. But years later, the very child who she gave birth to dies. And it requires faith to bring him back to life. 
The same faith it takes to give birth to your destiny is the same faith it requires to nurture it. The same faith that it requires to give birth to the blessing that God has given you, that's the same faith it's going to require to raise it, to nurture it. What are you saying? I'm glad you asked. We think that it stops after you get the blessing. Lord, I'm praying for a miracle, for a breakthrough. I'm praying for this job. I'm praying for this child. But my mothers know one thing. Giving birth to a child requires a lot. Ain't there what it But raising a child requires a whole lot more. You don't get to stop when you have the baby. After you have the baby, it still requires you to use that same faith. See, the thing is, after you have the child, after you give birth to your purpose, guess what? You become a marked individual. You become a marked man. You become a marked woman. And the enemy sees what you have and wants to attack you. And so in this situation, the enemy would have loved nothing more for her to give up. But it required faith to get what you're asking God for. And it's going to require faith for you to nurture and develop the very blessing that he gave you. We think it stops at the blessing. It just begins at your blessing. So be careful what you're asking God for. God gives it to you and you still requires faith to develop the very thing that he blesses you with. And we look at the text. And I bid you all a good morning because the last thing, which is something that we shared and you have to remember, her situation looks bleak. She has the audacity to say, it's okay. It's all right. D, it's well. Kim, it's well. It's okay. Debbie, it's well. It's good. It's going to be all right. Sometimes you don't feel it. It's all right. Sometimes you don't see it. It's all right. But your faith has to activate it. You got you to keep on speaking it. Keep on speaking it. Keep on speaking it until you see what you've been saying. Keep on saying it. Keep on saying it. You got to believe it. But she teaches me a valuable lesson. You have to learn how to prophesy over your problems. You need to learn how to prophesy over your problems. Prophesy, we don't use that term in church anymore. What does that mean? It means that you need to learn how to predict. You need to learn how to speak and predict what's going to happen in your situation through the power of the Holy Spirit. So she looks at her situation and through God's power, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it didn't look well, but she started to prophesy. It's going to be okay. It's all right. And so when you start prophesying over your problems, watch your problems submit to your prophecy. But too many of us, including myself, give it the right situation, the right circumstance. I prophesy, but it's not the positive because I expect the negative to happen. So, I, oh, it's just, you know, it's not going to work out. It never works out. And then I wonder why it doesn't work out. Because my words shape and paint my world. And I want to encourage you today 
no matter where you are, no matter what you're experiencing, what you're going through, you have the power through God's help to be able to predict positivity over your life. You can't wait on me. You can't wait on your friend. You can't wait on somebody on social media to tell you what you can tell your own self. I may have made a mistake, but it's going to be all right. God's got me. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you. We thank you for the eyes I've seen, our ears I've heard, and our hearts have felt. Thank you for this Shunammite woman and using her life as an example. Bless us today, God, to speak positivity, not only over our own lives, but over those who are around us. Lord, we thank you for teaching us. We thank you for growing us. And we thank you for stretching our faith. Lord, we give you all the praise, glory, and honor which is due unto thee. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people say it together. Amen. Amen.